I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you ever wondered what these words mean, these words that Jesus uttered from the cross on Good Friday? Did he really think he was abandoned by the Father? Is there a division within the Holy Trinity? I mean, I thought the Bible says the Father and the Son are one. So what did Jesus mean when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's what we're going to look at in today's episode. I want to bring us right into Mark's gospel, into Mark's presentation of the scene. And one of the things we're going to discover is that Jesus is using an ancient rabbinic teaching method here, where the ancient rabbis would often quote a line from a particular passage in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. And that line that they were quoting was meant to bring to mind the larger context of that passage or the larger story in which we find that line. It's kind of like this. If you asked me, hey, Edward Sree, what's your favorite band? And I told you, oh, I can't tell you my favorite band, but I can tell you it's a beautiful day. And I can't tell you my favorite band, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I'm going to keep talking this way with or without you. (laughs) For those of you that know the band, you too and Bono, you know what I'm talking about. I'm, co- I'm quoting key lines from some of their most famous songs, and, I, and those little lines are bringing to mind the larger context of, that, of those songs and this band, U2. Well, in a similar way, that's what the ancient rabbis were doing. The ancient rabbis would quote a certain line from the Hebrew Scriptures, and it brought to mind the larger context of that passage. Uh, and that's what I want us to consider here. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. He is bringing to mind Psalm 22. It's the opening line from Psalm 22. And as we're going to see here, this is a very fitting psalm for him to have on his mind, in his heart, and on his lips in his dying moments. Because this psalm very much relates to what he's going through on Good Friday. But let's go back to that Old Testament passage here in Psalm 22. And I'm going to read you the, the opening lines here. And I want you to consider what this psalm is about. It's about a righteous man who is going through great suffering. He's being persecuted. He's going through great agony, and he feels as if God has abandoned him. Listen to what the psalm psalmist says. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Have you ever had moments like this where you are wondering, where is God in the midst of all this? Where you cry out to God and you feel like he doesn't answer? You you, you pray and you still find no rest? The psalmist is going through a difficult period in his own life. And he's crying out to God, where are you, God? And he feels as if he's been abandoned by God. But if you read on with the psalm, what's clear is that he, he knows that God is still there. Even though he doesn't sense God's presence, he still has confidence that God can help him. And the source of his confidence is the story of salvation that's gone before him. He knows how God has come and helped his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and the Israelites, and Joshua. He knows those stories, and he knows that when they were in trouble, they cried out to God, and God was always 
faithful. God always came to their rescue, and that gives him confidence. He knows the story of God's faithfulness in the past, and he trusts that God will come and rescue him again. Listen to what he says. Yet thou art holy, God, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In thee our fathers trusted. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. To thee they cried and were saved. In thee they trusted and were not disappointed. So do you hear how this the psalmist is going through great suffering, but yet he remembers the story. He remembers the past, how God has always been faithful. He remembers how Moses and the Israels cried out to the Lord and God answered their prayers and helped them. But still, even though he knows God is faithful, like us, we, we often, we, we can doubt and we, we, we get discouraged at times. And that's what happens with the psalmist next. In the next couple of verses, starting in verse six, he says, but I'm a worm and no man. I'm scorned by men and despised by the people. All who seek me mock at me. And, and he's just realizing, you know, I, I'm still suffering. Everyone's looking at my life and saying, why does this man trust in the Lord? Everything's going wrong for him. So he's still going through great suffering. But then again, he turns to the Lord and he remembers how God was always with him throughout his life. He says in verse nine, yet thou art he who took me from the womb and thou didst keep me safe upon my mother's breasts. Upon thee was I cast from my birth and since my mother bore me, thou hast been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. He remembers how he was helpless. He was just so completely dependent on others when he was a little baby. And, and God was always there providing for him, protecting him when he was young. And, and, and he knows that Israel's always trusted in the Lord and God has been faithful to them. And so he says, Lord, I know that I should trust in you again. And I love this verse 11 of Psalm 22. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help me. When, when all other human hope fails, we want to turn to a family member. We want to turn to a boss. We want to turn to a friend. We want to turn maybe to someone in the church and we just feel like no one understands or no one's really there. And I, I don't know where to turn. We can say there's no one to help the Lord except you. Be not far from me for trouble is near. Now, why would Jesus have this psalm in mind? I think you can understand. He's going through great darkness, great difficulty, and it feels as if the Father has abandoned him. He, he's going through great suffering, but he's still trusting in the Lord, trusting that God will come and help him. But I think the, the part that has the most, the, the, the greatest connection to Jesus comes in verses 16 17 and 18. Here we have words that stand as a prophecy, a prophetic foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Jesus on Good Friday. Listen to these words in Psalm 22, verse 16 and following. He says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my raiment they cast lots. Do you, do you hear these words and how they point to Jesus on Good Friday? This man that's suffering in Psalm 22, this righteous man of the Old Testament, has his hands pierced and his feet pierced. That's what's going to happen to Jesus also on Good Friday. His hand is going to be pierced uh, with the nails on the cross. His feet are also going to be pierced with the nails on the cross. And what are they going to do with Jesus's garments? They're going to divide the garments, and for those garments, they will cast lots. So notice, 
this. Just as Psalm 22 talks about a righteous man going through great suffering, whose hands and feet are going to be pierced, so Jesus will be that righteous man who is going to go through great suffering, and his hands and feet are going to be pierced on the cross. And just as the righteous man of Psalm 22 had his garments divided and people were casting lots for his raiment, that, that's exactly what's going to happen to Jesus on Good Friday as the Roman soldiers cast lots for Christ's garments as well. So this is clearly a prophecy about what's going to happen to Jesus. Jesus is that righteous man being persecuted, being rejected, going through great suffering, and he is trusting in the Lord. We see this most beautifully at the end of the psalm. Listen to how this psalm ends with a beautiful climax in verse 27. This righteous man who goes through great suffering, the suffering has meaning. It has purpose. It's going to bear fruit. Listen to what the prophecy says. After this man goes through all of this suffering, quote, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. So this prophecy about the righteous man being persecuted, rejected, and going through suffering shows us that the suffering isn't pointless. The suffering has meaning. It has a purpose. It's redemptive. Because as a result of this man's suffering, what's going to happen? All the ends of the earth are going to come and turn to the Lord. People are going to start worshiping God from all the nations, not just Israel, but from all the nations. And and this man's kingdom is going to extend to all the nations. This is a prophecy about what's going to happen with through Jesus' death. His death is not the final end. He's going to rise and he's going to then extend his kingdom and his new life to all the world. And all the nations are going to come to worship the one true God. You already get a glimpse of this in Mark's gospel. But I hope we can see so far, I'm going to, I'm going to show you how this prophecy is already brought to fulfillment in Mark 15. But just, just recall the key themes here. Mark 15 gives us uh, the, the line of Jesus, Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's a quote from Psalm 22, the opening line. And it's not a song of despair. It's not a man crying out in, in, in thinking everything's hopeless. He feels as if God has abandoned him. He's been pushed to the limits of grief, and yet he remembers what God has done in his faithfulness in the past, and he trusts in the Lord, and he knows that this suffering is going to bear great fruit. That's the story for Jesus on Good Friday in Mark 15. And as we saw at the end of Psalm 22, all the nations are going to turn to the Lord and people are going to start worshiping him. And who's the first one to worship him? Look at what it says in Mark 15, verse 39. The Roman centurion standing there at the cross after Jesus dies says, truly, this man was the son of God. I love this line, a Roman centurion, not just any ordinary stranger, not an Israelite, but a Gentile, someone someone coming from the Gentile nations, just coming from the Roman enemy. This is the Roman centurion. He comes to have such great faith that Jesus is this true, he's the true son of God. Another great thing that Mark's gospel brings out that shows this prophecy coming to fulfillment is how the curtain of the temple is torn in two. Listen to what Mark 15, verse 38 says. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, what is this all about? Well, 
This is a reference to the inner veil uh, of the temple. So this was the curtain that curtained off the Holy of Holies from the rest of the of the temple. Now, the Holy of Holies was the holiest spot on the face of the earth. This is the place where the God of the universe had at one time dwelt. This is where the Ark of the Covenant at one time had resided. This is the sacred place where God's visible manifestation of his holy presence resided in the form of a cloud there in the Holy of Holies. And this place was so holy that the high priest was the only person that could ever enter into the Holy of Holies. In fact, even the high priest, he could only enter in once a year. And so the curtain dividing the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies is really this this temple symbolizing the inaccessibility of God. No one can enter in there except the high priest. And even he can only go one once a year on the on the on the feast of the day of the atonement. And so it's it, it's it's symbolizing the 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 uh, like a wall, the dividing wall between the holy presence of God and and the unholy people who can't draw near into that inner sanctuary in intimacy and union with God. The fact that as soon as Jesus dies, what happens? As soon as Jesus dies, the veil, the inner veil of the temple is is torn in two. It symbolizes that that dividing wall between God and humanity is now coming to an end, that the human family can draw near to God. And, And what's beautiful about this is notice what Mark's gospel tells us. It says the temple veil is torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, it wasn't a priest or one of the apostles rushing in to tear the, the temple veil from down below and ripping it upward. No, it, it is torn from top to bottom. It's symbolizing how it's God. He's the one that's tearing the temple veil. God's the one who longs to, to, to be united with us. He longs to remove the veil that divides us. He wants to be at one with us. And through Jesus's death on the cross, he is now coming close to us. He's, he's bringing us back into union with him. Another beautiful thing about this line is the language used here in Mark 15 verse 38 says that the temple veil was torn into. The Greek word for torn, schizo there, is the is a word used at the beginning of Mark's gospel. At the very beginning of Jesus's public ministry. It's a beautiful connection here. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist? Well, Mark's gospel, chapter one, verse 11 tells us that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were torn asunder and the dove comes down symbolizing the Holy Spirit and a voice from heaven cries out, this is my beloved son. So it's a beautiful moment, but notice the language. The heavens are torn open. It's symbolizing how God, again, wants to bring reunion with us. He wants to tear open the heavens so that we can be joined with him. And he does it first by sending the Spirit and sending our son at this moment, sending his son at this moment of his baptism. And the voice cries out, this is my beloved son. That's the heavenly father speaking, declaring this is his son, Jesus Christ. And that's how Jesus begins his public ministry in Mark's gospel. We read about that in Mark chapter one. And then the climax of Jesus's 
public ministry is there on the cross. In Mark 15, Jesus dies, and what happens? We have that same word, schizo, torn. The temple curtain now is torn asunder. The temple curtain is torn asunder so that we can have access to God. And then what happened just as at the beginning of the public ministry? The heavens were torn asunder, and the voice cried out, this is my beloved son. What do we have at the climax of the public ministry when Jesus dies on Good Friday in Mark 15? The curtain is torn asunder, and the centurion affirms what God said at the beginning of Jesus's baptism. This man was the son of God. The the, the centurion, the Roman centurion, echoes the words of the heavenly father at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Isn't it beautiful how these two stories frame the entirety of Jesus's public ministry in the gospel of Mark. There's so much in the scriptures. We've just looked at a few lines here in the Passion Narratives. I ask you that you pray for me. I've been doing a lot of studying on the Passion Narratives as I'm teaching the gospel class here at the Augustine Institute, and I'm uh, working on some writing on this project, so I ask your prayers for that. And I want to share with you something exciting. If you are uh, would like to see a video about this, I'm, I've also recorded a YouTube video uh, that's out there. You can find this in It gives a little bit more than what we were able to cover in this short podcast, but you can take a look at that and just find it on YouTube. You can check out my name, Edward Sri, and the title of this podcast is the same as the title of the YouTube video, The Cry from the Cross. So if you do a search on YouTube, Edward Sri, The Cry from the Cross, you'll find it there. And feel free to share that with others. I want to give a shout out to all the school teachers, the Catholic school teachers in the Diocese of Parramatta in Australia, because I know some of them are using that video in this podcast for some of their training and and formation here in the Lenten season. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing all of you this summer. I'm coming out to do a a workshop for them in in late July. So my, my prayers are with all of you. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I ask, please subscribe, please share with others. And if you haven't had a chance, to write a review yet, uh, please do so. I'm really grateful for all to those who have done that. Thanks so much for listening. Any questions you want to send to me, find me on my website, edwardstreet.com, or you could always reach me on Facebook and Twitter. God bless.